0: get faith? Where does faith come from? What is faith? Scripture tells us that faith itself is a gift of God. If salvation is about us, it is not a gift. It is a result of work. If God sovereign and sovereignly called me, then He has sealed me. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Heritage Baptist Church in Ashland, Ohio. Each week, we bring you expository and practical teaching straight from God's Word. And now, here's Pastor Ben. Occasionally, what happens as a pastor is you have kind of a vision as you're preaching through a book as to what direction the next sermon is going to go. And in the midst of your prep for that sermon, something happens. And that is why. In looking at Ephesians 12 today, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 12 today, the title is A Greek Rabbit Hole with a Practical Purpose. I had an experience, which happens about once or twice a year, where my sermon prep did not go the way that I thought it was going to. I read something in verse 12 that got me curious and sent me down a huge detour and into a rabbit hole. And when I came out the other end, the message that I had prepared was vastly different than the one I started preparing. And sadly, you're going to chase me down that rabbit hole today. But unlike some deep theological dives or discussions that produce very little in the way of practical application or value, I truly believe that there is something amazing waiting for us at the conclusion of today's study. So let me review a little bit about what we've been doing. The last two weeks, we've been looking at the five roles that Paul tells us Jesus died in order to establish in the church. And today we're going to look at verse 12 and answer one question, and I'll phrase that one question two separate ways. Here's the first way I'll phrase the question. What was the reason Jesus had to establish these particular roles, or for what ultimate purpose were these roles established? I want to let you know that Paul is building very slowly to something huge at the conclusion of Ephesians chapter four. And we probably won't get there for about two or three more sermons through Ephesians. But each of these sermons that we look at week by week is building to something bigger and bigger. It's a massive point of practical application that all of us need to understand if we desire to be a healthy biblical church. So as we get closer to that point, which we'll probably get to in about a month, Let us read and pray over Ephesians 4 as we are looking at verse 12. Paul says it this way, Jesus does this, quote, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord. Thank you so much for this morning, thank you for the amazing music that we got to experience through Brad and through Mindy, what a wonderful blessing. The skills and talents that you have given them to hone has been to our little congregation. I pray, Lord, that as we study intently here in Ephesians 4, that you would allow me to convey the enthusiasm and frankly the wonder of what you allowed me to see and uncover. And now I pray that you would allow me to communicate that. Clearly, I pray, Lord, that we would leave here both encouraged and challenged by this subtlety that Paul uses to say something quite profound. Let us, Lord, drink deeply of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we see Paul tell us why he died to appoint apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. He did so for two key reasons. Now reason number 1 is he did it to equip the saints for the work that we were called to do. So the first application is to give us the tools that we needed to go do what we're called to do. And the second one is to edify the body of Christ. Can somebody in simple terms help us out and explain what it means to edify the body of Christ. Kevin? Well, I thought you just meant edify. Edify is fine. Edify is building someone up. Sure, sure. Edification, building someone up. So let's give some examples, real world practical examples that affect us in 2020 of how someone might appropriately edify someone else. Not all at once. I've never been edified. In the working world, raises, bonuses, things like that. A recognition and appreciation of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And particularly in a, in a year that's been this difficult. Kevin, you had a thought? Reaching out and seeing if someone's <laughs> alive. Yeah, yeah. I, t- I told you guys this a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the, at the the earlier passage. But I love getting just random encouraging texts. I love sending. I challenged you to send random encouraging texts to each other. Dan is men of the church. You guys are on Dan's text list. How? What a blessing is that. Almost every morning throughout the week, Dan is faithful. He gets up before all of us because he's a better man than us. And he reads the scriptures and then he sends out some encouraging word about a word the Lord gave him. And I cannot tell you how many times that practice from Dan has centered me as I've begun my day. And then what happens sometimes is our group of about 10 of us, someone might text back a question to that group, like, hey, what do you think it means with this? And then we kind of develop this great little theological conversation. Conversation That helps kind of build us up. It edifies us. It encourages us. It builds into us. Now, you have to be careful about not leaving your phone for five minutes and coming back because I've had it where there's like 44 missed text messages because everybody keeps chiming in. So that, that is a danger of this method. But man, do I appreciate that. So what I want to do today for us as we look at this idea twofold, edification and equipping, the two E's, I want to take some time to dig into these concepts and use them somewhat as a mirror back upon heritage to challenge us both individually and as families and corporately as a church. So I need you to look at your Bibles with me. Look at chapter four, verse 12. Most English translations render this Equipping the saints. But who has, who might have something else? The equipping the saints. Jamie? The original King James says the perfecting. Perfecting the saints. Does anybody else have perfecting? Is anybody reading from an ASV, an American Standard? Okay, does anybody have anything besides equipping or perfecting? No? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What What do you have there? Equip. Okay. So this is a vast, this is where the rabbit hole begins. This threw me off. Every English translation that I looked at renders this equipping the saints. But there are two major English translations, the, new, or the original King James and the ASV, the American Standard, that actually translate it as perfecting the saints. So I was like, well, what's this word? Because do you guys agree with me that while equipping at least in English, equipping and perfecting are not the same thing, right? No, not, not the same thing at all, right? You can equip someone to go into battle. That doesn't mean that you have perfectly prepared them necessarily, right? So I was like, well, what, what is the word? So the Greek word is kartotismos, kartotismos. And this is an interesting word because it appears once in the entirety of Scripture, this is the only place this word occurs. Now the most basic definition of the Greek word kartotismos is a complete furnishing or equipping. Now the root word of kartotismos is similar, it is kartotizo, and it does occur 13 times in the New Testament, Paul uses it 13 times, and it means to mend or complete. Now, here we get into our deep dive, let me attempt to demonstrate some key differences in cartotismas and cartotizo. Before I do that, do you think that just on the surface of things, it is worth noting that Paul uses cartotizo 13 times, but here uses a different word, a related word. Do you think that in and of itself is at least worth saying, hmm, if he's used cartotismos, or cartotizo 13 times, why doesn't he just use it 14 times? Why does he select a word that's different there, Andy? Uh, It's a special emphasis on this, the point he's trying to make here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Boy, you hit it. The word today, from Ephesians 4.12, cartitosmos, is a masculine noun. Whereas cartitosmos, Kartitazo, the one that Paul uses 13 times, is a verb. So I would argue that the most accurate way to look at what Paul is actually saying in the Greek is that this equipping and perfection is not so much something God is doing as much as it is something you already are. Paul is not merely telling us that Jesus has equipped or is equipping or will equipping us, giving us everything he needs. What he's saying is subtle, but it goes well beyond that definition. What he's saying here is Paul's choice, to use this very peculiar word, suggests that he was reminding us that his readers as believers are equipped. The tools are already at their disposal to do the work of the ministry. In other words, I do not think it's a stretch to literally translate chapter 4, verse 12 this way, for the equipped saints to do the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, if I am suggesting that Paul is suggesting that we are already equipped, do any of you say, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if that's right. There seems to be some things that don't jive with that with the rest of Scripture. Does that make anybody somewhat uneasy? Particularly if we look at that word perfection. Obviously, nobody here believes that when you become saved, you are perfect. Wives looking at your husbands, amen? Okay. All right. We'll just leave it there. Um, So is this degrading? The concept of sanctification? Is this eliminating the fact that we are on a processful march towards becoming more Christ-like by our disciplines? I'm not suggesting here that Paul is teaching us that once we become saved, we are perfect or fully complete. That is the process of sanctification, the process by which exercising the spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture, we become more Christ-like. but. Like the definition of cartetizo, it refers to, it is most often used in nautical language to talk about mending a fishing net. So what I am saying is that Paul is telling us that we have everything we need once we become believers to begin to do the work of the ministry. So let me lean on that fishing net example for a minute. Once you have mended a broken fishing net, Do you roll it up and put it away in hopes that it will become stronger? No, right? How do you know if the fishing net is truly mended? You use it. You throw it into the water and you see if it holds fish. You see if it brings fish back in. You use it for its designed purpose. And here is where the practical edge comes to this singular word and it's verb tense being a noun. In what ways does the church, or do the church is, sometimes neglect the power of a mended new believer, and instead of using that mended new believer, we put that new believer into storage? What are ways in which that might happen in a church? Mark, the I mean, person first comes into some churches, not this one. Some churches, okay, they're not immediately welcomed in used for their talent. They are, mm-hmm. sit back over there and just stay out of the way. Okay. Okay, sure. Maybe a degree of marginalization yeah. till we size you up. Okay, sure, sure. I think that that's an application. Jamie, did you have a thought? Well, I was thinking like the younger generation. A lot of times, you know, you have a young one who'll come and become safe, so you stick them in a youth group or you stick them in a young adult's class and then you just kind of sort of forget about them. You don't go back and check in to see what... You know, the difference between them is 16 compared to, let's say, 19. What has developed over those three yeah. years and what is available to you now? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have a habit, particularly with young new converts, of letting them marinate. We'll just put them somewhere and let them marinate and just trust that they'll continue their development under the guise of the youth program or their friends or whatever else is going on. Um, what is the way to use a new believer? Let's talk about that mending net again. Do you guys understand how powerful a new convert is to winning new converts? Why? I mean, we all agreed with it. You guys all smiled when I said it. Why? Why is a young believer such a powerful tool for winning new believers? passion. Yeah, passion, one of them. Like this thing just happened. It is real and they want to tell everyone. How many of you would confess and say, the longer I've been a Christian, sometimes the harder it is to become motivated about telling other people I'm a Christian. You know, life's experiences have got me down. I'm kind of comfortable in my in my my groove of church, work, family, neighborhood. And it's harder to get out of that comfort zone. So what else is a great advantage about a young new mended net as a believer? I fresh zeal. Fresh zeal. Zeal. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mark they're also close. I mean, if I were to go out and try to convert unbelievers. They're going to say, hey, the old man wants something. It's if Macy goes out and doesn't. She has all, she has their, but she's of the same generation. Yeah, yeah. This is a huge point that Mark's alluding to here. Um, Chances are very good that a young new believer is coming from a social group of not believers. So when they go back to that social group and be like, you got to hear this thing that happened to me. They're friends, what happened to you? What is this thing? This thing happened at church or this thing happened when I was praying. And then they're gonna say, well, I'm curious about that. And yet we often treat mended fishing nets, broken people who have lost the ability to bring in things, we treat them like we will use, now that you're mended, we're gonna put you in the storage locker and we'll use you when we determine you're ready to be used. And we miss this great opportunity. So if we put them into the context of what Paul is saying here, I think one of the things that he's alluding to is that this is a warning to say, do not neglect the power of a young convert or a new believer, because as a believer, period, you are equipped. And what is the main way, even if we have very little theological knowledge, as a new believer, like we don't understand sanctification, we don't understand election or justification. we don't understand how it happened, we just know something happened. What is the one thing that we can go back to our peer group with? Not a trick question. Richard? Mentor. In a way, Richard said mentor. It's Katie? Our yes, our testimony, our own experience. I can't answer all these theological questions, I can tell you what happened to me, and that is often a hugely powerful tool. Very few people, some, but very few people, come to Jesus because any other option gets reasoned out of them. C.S. Lewis is one of those people, became a Christian after reading Romans, and basically said, there's no argument against this, there's none. But most people become a believer because somebody that you love is or has become a believer and shares that part of their life with you, and it gets you curious. It stokes the fires in your heart to want to learn more about that thing. So as we press that idea into the second half, the back half of this verse, how is it on a positive note that this new young believer can be a huge edification and encouragement to us, the already saved the body of Christ. Jared? God is just doing it. You can can see it's continually working. It's never stopping. So even though you've been in it 40 or 50 years and you're kind of seasoned, you still always get to enjoy the excitement with that young person. It's Just like last Sunday. I was just going to say that. I shot over here because I wanted to see the baptism. Yeah. And I was like, because I I know Sam's excited about it and we were excited for him. I was just going to say that. Like how neat... How many of you come away encouraged when someone Sam's age, Sam 14, 13, 14, gets baptized, right? A young person in our church who's been here his entire life, the only church he knows is Heritage, right? His parents have been here longer than anyone except me and Mary. So we've known Sam since he was this big, smaller than baby Yoda. And (laughs) he comes... And we get to see that turning point of maturation where he gets baptized before the body of the church that he has known and loved that has nurtured him. And all of us take away from that, like, wow, the Lord is at work in this place. Despite us, the Lord is at work in this place. How foolish would we be to say, Sam, you can start sharing the gospel with other people when you're in college. And sometimes inadvertently, sometimes through just the programming strategies of the church, that's precisely what we do and tell our young people. Or we don't have them share their testimonies. We don't have them share, this is where I came from, this is my story, so that it would encourage us, so that it would give us motivation, so that it would serve like that early morning text message from your, your Bible study group that, that gets you focused on the right things. So this leads us to the conclusion application that we need to look at as a church at Heritage. We have a dual responsibility if we take the verb tense of kartitazo seriously. We have a huge dual purpose as a church. One, we have to help cultivate the sanctification of a young believer, like it would be foolish of us to say, Sam's baptized, now he's a believer, go get him. And leave him to that. And that's, of course, not what we're doing. His parents continue to mentor him. Uh, His teachers at school continue to mentor him. Our youth program here continues to mentor him. The adults that he looks up to in this congregation continue to mentor him. And that's all part of it. But also to use the power and usefulness and enthusiasm of that young believer to ignite our hearts. To remind us. When we sing in that song, return unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. Well, we can't go experience salvation again but when we watch other people make professions make conversions make decisions that honor Christ it can stoke within us a reminder of the commitment that we've made ladies how many of you like going to weddings with your husbands yeah why why do you why do you like that Jane why do you like going to see a wedding with your husband oh yeah right. Look at those two young couple. I mean, look, at two, look at that young couple. That was us 61 years ago, right? Right. right? Before those five kids came and ruined everything. That, that was right. Like, like there, there's something about visibly watching the ceremony take place, and you're like, that's beautiful. And not only did we make that commitment to each other, hun, but we're an example to them because we're 20 or 30 or 40 years down the road. Um, Some of you guys who've been here a while remember Nick Wheeler? Uh, Nick and Kathy got married up in Norwalk probably about 10 years ago, and they did something at that reception, a bunch of people from the church were at the wedding, where they had couples come out on the dance floor, and couples only had to be married, and as you were dancing, they would say, okay, anyone who's been married less than a year, ago, sit down. And what I was really surprised, I think Mary and I had been married about 14 years at the time, and it was a younger crowd. So Mary and I were looking around like, it might be us, and then we looked to our left and Jim and Carol Fox were dancing, <laughs> and I was like, it's not going to be us, and so we we sat down, and I think Jim and Carol had been married 54, 55 years at that time. And they hand the mic to Jim. Everyone claps, and he's standing there next to his wife. And they say, and the DJ, who's like, "So what's your secret?" You know, Jim takes the mic, and it's like, Jesus Christ. And there was that brilliant awkward pause where everyone's like, "Oh, is he going to start preaching?" And I was like, "Oh, is he going to start preaching?" And. <laughs> <laughs> And he, was like, and he was very he was very kind, he wasn't, you know, Nick's family, Kathy's family, they're all believers, but when an old guy grabs the mic and shouts Jesus Christ at a wedding, <laughs> it could mean a lot of things. And so, and if you know Jim, it could mean a lot of things. And so Jim just was like, I attribute us being able to get through all of the ups and downs of marriage, all of the heartaches, all of the celebrations, all of the successes, I attribute all of it to the fact that Carol and I love each other, but not as much as we love Jesus. I, he should have just dropped the mic and walked off stage. Like that, it was it was over at that point. You know, people were welling up. I, I was so I was like, that's my deacon. I was so excited. Andy's done nothing, nothing <laughs> to make me that proud. So, so, so in any event, I love you, bud. So, in any event, it was when you see the visible symbol of something, it reignites us. And Paul says, not cartitizo. He says, I gotta get the word right spent so much time breaking it down, he says, cartitas mas, you are, not you are becoming, not he will make you, you are equipped. If you have been changed for the purpose of Jesus Christ, if your heart has been shifted, if your affections have gone from loving the world and self to loving the risen Savior, you are an ambassador for Christ. You don't sit through your new members class and sit through six years of schooling and then get your certificate. Now you are an officially licensed person who can go and share the gospel. The second it happens to you, you can go and share the gospel. And that sharing will have two effects, the net will draw in the lost to be celebrated over. And as that net comes up onto the boat, the other Christians on the boat look at this and say, praise be to God to use this young, enthusiastic, new believer. Now I am encouraged. I'm throwing my net out as well. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. It's something I wanted to pause to consider the state of you being that thing, not needing to become that thing. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor Ben Roby and Heritage Baptist Church. We welcome your feedback or questions. You can find us online at hbcashland.com or connect with us on Facebook. If you found this message helpful, please share it with a friend or loved one. Again, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.